for those of you who have attended throughout the week, um, you've heard uh, a few introductions for, for Pat and Tracy, so I'll make it short so we can get to, to hearing uh, from them. Um, they are from uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, which I know this church has a very strong uh, connection and tie to Chattanooga, and um, I've never been there, but I feel like it has a, you know, a place in my heart for all the people that I know um, who, who are from there and who live there. Um, they work with uh, AMG now and have spent time full-time on the mission field, uh, and, as well as leading various trips. Uh, so uh, Pat is going to share with us first, and I believe Tracy is going to uh, share a little bit uh, with us afterward. So please join me in welcoming uh, Pat and Tracy Reagan. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's a blessing to be here. You know, I, um, I just wanted to start off by saying thank you. It's, a, it's been such a humbling thing for us to be a part of the mission conference here. Uh, I have to say, you know, when I saw the website after, you know, uh, Eric had invited us and we knew we were coming and on the, the, the mission conference page, we have Dr. Tom Eliff there and then, then on the bottom is Steve Green and stuck there in the middle uh, it was me and Tracy, <laughs> and I'm thinking, do they really know? Uh, talk about the least of these, but um, we're so privileged. Uh, precious men of God um, that we've had an opportunity to spend a little time with this weekend and, and partner together with. And, of course, the church, um, just a sweet, sweet time for us, refreshing, uh, just being here with you all. Um, but I wanted to tell you that just because we're, speaking and we're on the docket or whatever and you're here there and we're up here and we're all dressed up we're just people um saved by god's grace far from perfect <laughs> you can ask my wife uh, no don't don't ask her um we we definitely make mistakes we have not arrived by any sense um, we're on this journey together um day by day trying to follow the lord Trusting Him, and uh, it's a blessing to, to share a little bit of what He's doing. This isn't about us at all. And so this morning, I just want to start off with a very important place, and that's our family. Uh, this is a vintage picture from back in 19, or I'm sorry, 2004. Uh, Tracy and I and our girls were serving in Guatemala. Wayne Barber had come to Hoffmantown, and under uh, Curtis Brickley's leadership, you had your first mission conference. And for some reason, uh, by God's grace, we were able to come and participate in that first conference in 2004. And these are our three girls and Tracy, all dressed up in their Guatemalan trajes. They are the, the typical indigenous skirt and tops that the Guatemalans would wear. Uh, the cool thing about this is that um, in Guatemala, these actually mean something. They're pretty, but they actually mean something. Uh, the, the ladies in Guatemala, depending on what part of the country they live in, they wear the, this outfit. And the design in the skirt actually tells you when you see them where they're from. And so that's just kind of a, a really uh, neat thing about the culture in Guatemala. And uh, that's, a, for me, a, a sweet picture of our girls um, back before they became teenagers. <laughs> I know, right. So this one's a little closer now to our current time. Um, a couple of years ago, we went on a little beach trip and we were able to take everybody with us. Laura, our oldest, is married to Tyler. And in this picture, a couple of summers ago, there was a little something in Laura's tummy uh, in the oven there. Um, that's why there's an arrow pointed to her tummy. Um, and uh, 
So she's our oldest, and uh, Jessica's number two. She lives in South Florida around Fort Lauderdale, and she's preparing, she's working and getting ready to start studying at Liber Liberty University online, doing well. And uh, Hannah's our youngest. She's 21, living at home still in Chattanooga with us, studying history at our local university and doing, uh, doing very well also. Um, because this was a little bit older picture and Judah wasn't with us in that picture, I had to do this. This is little Judah. You know, we heard all the stories about having grandkids and how precious they were, and we kept looking at pictures of people's grandkids, and we'd have to, ooh and ah, but you know, babies are babies, right? And then we had ours. So this one's pretty special. Um, one problem, I think I mentioned this the other day, but one problem. Tyler's last name is Patty. My name's Pat. I knew when my daughter married Tyler, well, there, was, there was not a very good likelihood that any son would be called Pat. Any grandson. Pat, Patty just does not work. But I, it's okay. We still love Judah. He's a sweet little guy. And they're living with us right now, actually, Lauren, Tyler, and Judah, um, because they're on their way to the mission field themselves, and they're raising support, and so we're helping them out. And the double blessing is that we get to spend time with little Judah. And then now he's holding a, a little blue donkey, I guess. Um, and there's a reason for that. It's because number two is coming. There's, a, there's a, another little something in Lauren's tummy. And he'll, he'll be with us in June. So this is Judah anticipating having a little brother, I guess, even though he doesn't really know it. So um, I did want to say one thing real quick before we move further, and that is that there's a young man in the back standing up. No, no, don't do that. It's, I don't know if everybody knows Silas back here. Wave, Silas. Um, I don't know. Many of you have probably been on mission trips or been overseas serving with other people or even here locally. There's just something that happens when you do that together, when God puts you on the field together and you, you face day in and day out maybe another culture and the challenges of serving overseas. Well, Silas, uh, whether you really anticipated it or not, ended up in India with me last February. He and a, a small team from uh, Hoffmantown was there and we had a great time and I really appreciate seeing him this morning. It's kind of like family, a little reunion there. And there's another guy in the back with a mustache that, I didn't, that was a little different because um, he, he didn't have one the last time I saw him. Mr. Samuel Henchman, stand up, Mr. Henchman. And uh, he's from our home church back in Chattanooga. So he's transplanted out here. And there's a young lady at his side who we approve of so far. We like that. <laughs> so it's good to see him as well. The Henchmans are a special family, um, very special. Okay, moving on. Tracy and I have the privilege of serving with AMG and uh, currently and what we consider to be really the most important part of, of missions is just our personal bias because it's the calling God has on our hearts and it's what we call mobilization. It's actually just simply engaging people in the Great Commission. Um, mobilization is just a fancy word for taking people who know Jesus and pointing them to people who don't. And at, at AMG we have the privilege of doing that through AMG's ministry uh, which we'll talk more about in a little bit. Uh, the other side of what we get to do is really Tracy's thing because she has this gift of mercy, um, but we really do have a burden for our, our missionaries. We have about 35 missionaries around the world, uh, units as it were, families or single adults. Um, many of you know Ruben and Florence Mursimi in, in Uganda. Well, they're actually AMG missionaries, uh, but they're, they're actually nationals because they're from Uganda, but they are missionaries. Hoffman Town supports them. 
Um, but anyway, we're tasked with caring for them. We're tasked with coming alongside them and making sure they know there's somebody at our home office that's there for them, someone who has their interest at heart, someone who understands or uh, seeks to understand their situation, to pray for them, to communicate with others about their needs, um, to meet, uh, meet them at their point of need and help, help them be healthy on the field um, to serve the Lord effectively. And that's a very important role. Um, and so we're uh, very uh, thankful to be a part of that. Just a snapshot real quick of AMG's ministry. We do focus in five areas primarily um, through our national workers around the world in 34 countries worldwide. We have media ministries. We work with children and youth, um, medical ministries, of course, and discipleship, church planning and training pastors, um, discipling pastors. Actually, discipleship starts when children enter our child care centers at a young age. So it's, it's a whole life process that we focus on. And of course, we work in disaster relief as well. Wherever there's a disaster that happens and we have people on the ground, we do our best to respond to those needs as well. Tracy and I, this is kind of our piece of the puzzle right up at the top. As I said, we work with our missionaries and um, that's the piece that God's given us um, in our role. Since it is a K group, it kind of feels like Sunday school, so I thought we'd spend just a little bit of time in God's word. And I wanted to start, I'll just read this passage to you. Of course, it's on the screen. Very familiar passage, it's in Genesis 12. This is when God is calling Abram out. Okay, many of you uh, may be familiar with this passage, but I just wanted to focus on it for just a moment. Verses 1 through 3, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I'll bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And this is the point that I wanted to talk about this morning. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. You see, from the very beginning, this shows God's heart. And it's, what we've been saying the whole time this mission conference this weekend is that it's very important for us to be reminded of how God views the world from His Word. Sometimes we forget that. We forget how actually God is, views the world and what his heart and his purpose for the world is. And way back in Genesis chapter 12, God says, this is my heart. That through you and your obedience and your faith, I want to bless all the families of the earth. And Paul actually refers to this passage in Galatians chapter 3. He says in verse 8 of Galatians, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to who? To Abraham, saying this, all the nations shall be blessed in you. And so Paul actually looked back when he was writing the churches in Galatia and said this very passage we're looking at right now, through it, God was preaching the gospel. Why? Because it foresaw the blessing of Christ coming. And it saw the blessing of people coming to know Christ, us sitting in this room are part of the spiritual fruit actually from this covenant that God made with Abraham. And so this is God's heart for the world. And it started way back in Genesis. And I wanted to share this with you as well because it's important to recognize that at the very end of our Bibles in Revelation chapter 7 really is the culmination of this very thing that started way back in Genesis. And it's in this verses 9 through 10, Revelation chapter 7, a picture of the throne room 
After these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation. There it is. And all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This is the end result, isn't it? Of God's work through his church in the world to bring all nations, every tribe, peoples, and tongues in worship before the throne to glorify our great God. A couple of chapters before this, in Revelation chapter 5, there's a book that needs to be opened, and no one can be found to open it. And it says this in Revelations 5, and it's in verse 9 and 10. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy art thou to take the book and break its seals, for thou wast slain and didst purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, for thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. So in Revelation 5, it points to someone who's worthy to open the seals of the book. To a lamb who was slain and purchased for God. Men from every tribe and tongue. These people in Revelation 7 are there because someone obeyed. And someone paid the price with his own blood. And I think for me, it's important for us to remember that the, pri- the price that Jesus paid for our sins. I know it's important for me to remember this morning the price that Jesus paid for my sin. I came across a uh, commentary really by uh, Philip Yancey and I wanted to read it this morning because it's important. It it points to this very thing. It kind of brings it all in perspective for me. And it's from March 16th. It's called Ordeal of Shame. So if you'll bear with me, I just want to read this real quick. And just think with me. Try to put yourself there. In a memoir of the years before World War II, Pierre Van Passen tells of an act of humiliation by Nazi stormtroopers who had seized an elderly Jewish rabbi and dragged him to headquarters. In the far end of the same room, two colleagues were beating another Jew to death. They stripped the rabbi naked and and commanded that he preach the sermon he prepared for the coming Sabbath in the synagogue. The rabbi asked if he could wear his yamuk, I don't know how to pronounce that. Yamaka. And the Nazis, grinning, agreed. It added to the joke. The trembling rabbi proceeded to deliver in a raspy voice his sermon on what it means to walk humbly before God, all the while being poked and prodded by the hooting Nazis. And all the while hearing the last cries of his neighbor at the end of the room. When I read the gospel accounts, of the imprisonment, torture, and execution of Jesus. I think of that naked rabbi standing humiliated in a police station. I cannot fathom the indignity, the shame endured by God's Son on earth. Stripped naked, flogged, spat on, struck in the face, garland with thorns. Jewish leaders as well as Romans intended the mockery 
intended the mockery to parody the crime for which the the victim had been condemned. Messiah, huh? Great, let's hear a prophecy. Wham. Who hit you, huh? Thunk. Come on, tell us. Spit it out, Mr. Prophet. For a Messiah, you don't know much, do you? It went on like that all day long, from the bullying game of blind man's bluff in the high priest's courtyard to the professional thuggery of Pilate's and Herod's guards, to the catcalls, spectators up the long road to Calvary, and finally to the cross itself where Jesus heard a stream of taunts. I have marveled at and sometimes openly questioned the self-restraint God has shown throughout history, allowing the Genghis Khans and the Hitlers and the Stalins to have their way. But nothing, nothing compares to the self-restraint shown that dark Friday in Jerusalem. With every lash of the whip, every fibrous crunch of fists against flesh, Jesus must have mentally replayed the temptation in the wilderness and in Gethsemane. Legions of angels awaited his command. Just picture that. One word, and the ordeal would end. But he didn't say it, did he? He didn't call out. He paid the price for my sin. He's the lamb that's worthy to open the book. He's the one we worship. He's the one we serve. We know what happened. Of course, Easter's coming, right? This isn't the last of it. Three days later, he rose from the grave. And therein lies our hope. There's the victory, right? We have a risen Savior. He's alive today, right? So we can rejoice in that and be encouraged by that and actually be motivated by that, right? To serve him, to follow him, wherever he leads. Tracy, can we hand those out? I've got a little handout I want to do. Just um, I should have already maybe started that. It won't take long to get these out. Since we're in, sun- again, can we call it Sunday school? And if you don't have a pen, it's okay. I just, wanted, I just wanted to give you something to put in your hand and look at. We're going to look at the state of the world. Okay, we're going to have a little, not a quiz so much, but just maybe something to get our thoughts on what, what's going on around the world today. Because it may surprise you a little bit. I know it did me when I first started doing some research and came across these things. And so this little handout that's coming around, uh, the questions on the screen are on the handout, but we'll go through them together. And we won't, we won't keep score. It's okay if you don't get them right. Raise your hand if you don't have one yet. Everybody got one? And so we see this theme, just, re- just reiterating what I was just saying, from Genesis to Revelation, God's heart is for all peoples, right? For all the nations to come to know Him. And so what's going on today in the world? The state of the world. First question on your handout is on the screen. And it says this. In 100 AD, the worldwide ratio of unbelievers to believers was 360 to 1. Today, one out of every 14 people are evangelical Christians. True? Raise your hand. True? Who says true? Who says false? I love this. It's true. It's true. 
Right, Silas? All right. Second question. Evangelical Christianity is the fastest growing religious movement in the world. True? Man, you people are tough. Silas is with me on that one. False? I know. Religious movement. People are coming to Christ like you wouldn't believe today. Number three. There are more evangelicals in Africa than in all of North America and Europe combined. Nobody's going to say false. I know, right? (laughs) That's true. All right. John Ripley liked this one the first hour. Worldwide, the Gideons hand out one million scriptures every four and a half days. Yes. God's word, sowing the seed. Many Muslims around the world are having dreams and visions of Jesus Christ. Yeah, we know that one. That's true. Okay, Islamic Indonesia, believers are nearing 15% of the population. True or false? It's true. Okay, next one. Between 85 and 95% of all believers who are serving as cross-cultural missionaries serve in already reached places. It's actually true. And this is a problem. Okay, let me preface that. Don't misunderstand. God calls where he calls. So it's perfectly fine. But the point is there are a lot of unreached people out there. That's the point. More than 30% of the world's 6,900 languages need a written translation of the Bible. True or false? That's true. You're getting the hang of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There are more than 2.9 billion people in the world who have little or no access to the gospel. Little or no access, that's true. That's a sad statistic. Neither their grandparents nor their parents nor they themselves have even the opportunity to hear the name of Jesus Christ. About a third of the world call themselves Christians. A third are non-believers living in reached people groups and a third lived in unreached people groups. True or false? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, a third of the population of the approximately seven point, you know, five billion in the world today still live in an unreached people group. So how'd you do? Eight out of ten? We'll talk more about the verses at the bottom of that page before we're through, but we're gonna move on and talk about some of these unreached people and how God's moving in the world. And how God's given us the privilege at AMG to be a part of reaching some of them. It's a very exciting time in the world right now um, where God is truly at work. And that's what we want to focus on for the next half hour or so. We're going to take you to Eastern Europe, to Greece. And then we're going to take you to Guatemala before we're through. And Tracy's going to come up too and talk about Greece here in just a minute. Because we've just been there this past year a couple of times. Greece is in Southern Europe. It's kind of like, you know, the Florida of Europe. um, Way down there at the bottom. Uh, They say there are more coastline in Greece because of all the islands than the continent of Africa. There are a bunch of islands around Greece. And um, this is a picture from the UN's website. This one is. And what I wanted to show you is that number up there at the top. Uh, This says that in 2016, last year, in the 12 months of 2016, 173,450 refugees came from Turkey into Greece. Greece has 12 million people, 
less than 1%, about 30,000 of those people are actually uh, evangelical believers. It's considered a Christian country, but it's orthodox. And I'm not saying that some of those orthodox don't actually know Jesus, but most don't actually. To be born Greek is to be born orthodox. And it's a cultural thing. And people who leave the Orthodox Church in Greece and, become, and come to know Christ and become evangelicals are actually considered heretics because they're not Greek anymore. It's a very difficult place, uh, very hard soil. But God's working in Greece. Well, for the past seven years, they've had an economic crisis, as you've heard. And ironically, in the midst of that, all of these people are coming into their coastline trying to find a better life. And um, the Greek church... The evangelical believers I just mentioned are the ones stepping up to the plate to meet the need. The Orthodox Church actually is focusing on Greece because there's a lot of need in Greece. And they said, okay, you evangelicals, y'all can take care of the refugees. Well, it's, an, it's, a, it's a daunting task, but yet God's moving. So let's define a term. Refugee would be what? A person who's been forced to leave their country in order to escape war, persecution, or natural disaster. So that's who a refugee is, by definition. Today, one out of every 113 persons in the world are displaced. Now, displaced is a different word than refugee. To be displaced means that you're seeking asylum. You're in your country and you're internally displaced, or you're a refugee. There are more people in the world today displaced than ever before in history. We were talking to an Awana group the other night, a couple months ago, uh, at a local church near Chattanooga, and I painted the picture this way. They're not going home tonight. These people, these 65 plus million people, have no home to go to tonight. They're sleeping somewhere else. And so Tracy's going to come up and share about some of the refugees we met in Greece this last year. Hey, everybody. Hi. <laughs> um, okay. Um, as Pat mentioned, there has been a financial crisis in Greece for the last several years. And due to that, there are lots of buildings. Oh, what I do? Help me, help me. Okay. And because of that, I told you I was technically challenged. Um, because of that, there are lots of very empty buildings in the country. So businesses have closed, people have lost their homes, and there's lots of empty buildings. Well, who would have known, except the Lord, that there was going to be an influx of refugees into the country of Greece? So what we're going to look at on this first slide that I messed up is one of the refugee centers. Thank you very much. this one actually houses um, Afghani refugees. Uh, there's many families that live in this one building here, and you can see the kids. They're outside playing soccer. And these little girls met us when we walked in, and they were full of smiles. And I've just kind of come to realize that kids are kids no matter where you are, and no matter what is going on in their lives, they are still kids. And these little girls came up and they said, guess what? We get to go to school two hours every afternoon, and they're teaching us uh, Greek and English. So these kids are going to be trilingual before this is all over with, more than likely. Um, but they were just so precious and followed us around. And, and if you notice behind us there, there's kind of a curtain. 
And that is actually one of the rooms that a family lives with, and that's their door. Most of the people that live here in this camp are women with their children. There are very few men around. And as a woman and as a mom, to sleep in a room without a lock on the door in that kind of situation would make me very nervous. So I was really thankful to meet the leader of this particular camp. He seems like a really good guy, and our people in the field there are they're getting to know these people. You build relationships. It's not something that you just go in and say, this is how you're going to do it. Um, they're being the hands and feet of Jesus in this place. The next one is actually at a Syrian camp. It's right outside of a little town called Koropi in Greece. Uh, the name of this area is Lavrio. It's right near the water. It's actually a beautiful place. And this is a camp. Um, and when we talk about camps, we want you to know that it's, there's a lot of people involved with these camps. The Greek Navy actually uh, is there. And so they kind of keep an eye and make sure that everybody's safe and nobody's stealing stuff and people aren't getting hurt. And then there's the NGOs, which are groups that come in and do a lot of humanitarian work. Um, they're great. So many things that they do are so good. And then AMG has a presence as well, and we're the only evangelical organization involved with the refugees at this point. Um, so we get to go in and be very practical with the help that we give them, and at the same time, um, they know that it's in the name of Jesus that it's done. Um, some of these people, um, they know the name of Jesus because Jesus is in the Quran, right? But he's just not considered God. So the, we actually get the opportunity to serve them and love them like Jesus would and introduce him to who he really is, um, be his hands and feet. Pat and I, as he mentioned, we got to go here a couple of times last year to Greece. The first one was in July, and we were fully anticipating this trip. So when we got there, they had just closed the borders um, outside of Greece. So whoever was still in Greece, they were staying in Greece. They could not get out of the country. So when we first came, um, this was kind of crazy. We were at this camp, and the NGO, just, they just said, hey, you know what, you guys are here. Let's do a food distribution. So we said, OK, that's great. What does that mean? Because we just kind of assumed that they knew exactly what they were doing. Well, they didn't. This was their very first food distribution. So they throw us back into these little rooms that are floor to ceiling full of supplies and food. And I've never seen so much loose tea and sugar in my life. And they said, OK, we have to divvy this up. And there's over 200 cabins in the camp. And each cabin gets a certain amount of each thing based on the amount of people in that cabin. So make a really long story short, we did all that. <laughs> and then as we were doing that, we walked outside. And mind you, we had been in this room. It's hot. It's summer in Greece. It's very hot in Greece. And we come out. We're all hot and sweaty. And there is this sea of men standing there with their cabin numbers waiting for their distribution. And as we started handing them, it was pretty chaotic, quite honestly, because this was the first time. They'd never done this. We'd never done this. Um, so you can take that where you want it to take it. But um, the men had their numbers, and we would give them their food and give them their baskets. And then a little while later, 
several of them came back and they were yelling. There's not as much sugar in this bag as there was in the other one. Where's the other bag of tea? Why don't I have more toilet paper? I need more diapers for my child. I only have one bar of soap. Why do I only have one bar of soap? I have nine people in my cabin. The nine of us cannot use one bar of soap. These are the kinds of things that were going on. But remember, these guys, they thought they were coming to Greece and they were going to be there for a very short period of time. And all of a sudden, all of their plans, all of their goals were completely put on hold. They basically were prisoners in a place that they did not anticipate being at all. Because their future was in Germany, or their future was in another place that was more stable than Greece's. But not anymore. They are here. So that was our summer. Um, and then, as the Lord would have it, we actually got to go back in November. Um, a church in Chattanooga was going, and they wanted to go see the refugee work that was taking place, and they said, hey, y'all come with us. So we got to go back to the very same camp. And I was kind of scared, to be completely honest, because they were, it was intense. And I know it's kind of hard to explain, so I'm not even going to try to, but the first time when we were there, all we saw were men and children. We didn't see any women at all. It's almost like the women were sequestered in their cabins and weren't able to come out. But this time, the women were out. <laughs> and it's still amazing what happens when the women come out because they are so relational. And what I came to realize the second time, I mean, look at us. We're sitting at a table. They invited us to drink some of that tea. It was in there and to eat some of that sugar. They shared so little with us, and they were so excited to do that. But here we are, sitting, eating, drinking tea with them, and this lady here in the red scarf, um, as we were doing the distribution this time, the refugees were actually a part of the distribution. They were in there, they were helping us put stuff together for each cabin, and it was just much more organized, and everybody had calmed down because they realized, we're here. We're not going anywhere. We gotta figure this out. Winter's coming. The guy in the back with the big gray coat, his name is Summer, and they actually appointed him the leader of this camp. So now they have someone to look to, someone to help Figure out, how are we going to stay warm? Where are we going to get our blankets? Where are we going to get our food? How do we get from one place to another? Um, anyway, the lady in the red scarf, I'm sorry, I do not remember her name, but we were doing the distribution, and like I said, we were kind of back in this closet area, and the roof comes down at a really sharp angle, and there's about a foot of air, and then there's this wall. And for some reason, she stuck her head in, like in this foot of air. And I'm down here in this pit. And she just looked at me, and she said, hello. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, I love you already. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> she was so sweet. And we came out, and we started talking. And her husband knew a little bit of English. And she was trying to tell me what she did back in Syria. But her English was so broken, and she's so, she, okay, I'm just going to tell you what she did. So she said, me. And then she pushed me away, and then she said, you. And then she said, she said, me. And she said, 
baby, baby, and she's doing all this stuff and just trying to explain to me. And her husband comes up, and she was a labor and delivery nurse <laughs> in Syria. And she would say, the doctor was over here. And yeah, anyway, but just such a sweet woman. And it dawned on me, you know what? These guys are just people like us. And here, we hear so many negative things. These people had homes, and they had careers, and they have families, and they don't have that anymore. They walked away from everything, and it had absolutely nothing to do with them personally. So here they are in Greece, and they wanted to share this with us. So we sat here, and we had tea and coffee that was really, really strong but it was really sweet to be able to do this with them. And then there was another woman, I don't remember her name, but her daughter's name was Baram, and her daughter actually spoke some more English. And so they actually wanted us to come and have tea as well. So we just kind of drank tea all afternoon. Um, but Baram's mom actually is Afghani, her family is from Afghanistan, and they're living in a Syrian camp. When they came, over, it was the whole family, the father, mother, and children, and they put them in the Afghani camp. The father was very abusive, so they actually separated the family. They made the father go to a whole other part of Greece, and they put the mom and the kids in a Syrian camp. I don't know if, I don't even understand the significance of that, but here they are in a foreign country, not just among people who are foreign in Greece, but now they're among people who are foreign and from Afghanistan. So this family is in a really hard spot, and they don't have a man. It's all women, except for the little boys. So they invited us to tea, and when we got into her cabin, we had to take our shoes off, and she already had tea made, and we sat there on their beds, and um, one of the things that she had sitting there, and we don't know Arabic or anything, it was a Bible. And our worker there, Mihalis, he had it, and he had given it to her, she asked for it. And he asked her, he says, so what do you think about this book you're reading? She said, well, I have some questions. I have some questions about this book. So he invited her that Friday evening, every Friday evening at the Cosmovision Center in Greece, it's one of AMG's ministries, we have a fellowship and it's for the refugees or anyone who's not from Greece to come and be a part of. And we, they have worship, we have a local pastor that shares, but it really is a time for them to get to know each other. Um, and he invited her to come. She was there. She was there on Friday night with all of her children. And the reason he invited her is because there's another lady who lives in Greece. She's from Afghanistan. She speaks the language, and he said, my friend can share with you about every question that you have about Jesus. So that very night, I got to watch this whole thing take place. She and her family were there, and this lady was talking to her and translating. She was asking questions. And as I said goodbye, she looked at me. She said, I hope to be a part of your family one day soon. So even in the midst of being somewhere so foreign and feeling so foreign, she was getting to know who Jesus truly is, not the Jesus in the Quran, but the Jesus of the Bible. Um, that is just one thing. Um, 
God uses very simple acts of service in so many ways, and sometimes we take that for granted. This camp is actually a Kurdish camp. It's outside of Lavrio. There's 200 families living in this camp. Um, there weren't a lot of people out. Like I said, it was cold, and there's just the sea of these white um, boxes on this platform. There is one shower for 200 families in this place. Um, they would open their doors and let us give them some food and some soap and things, and that was the extent of what we got to do there. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention to you that's actually going to happen in May, we're really excited about this, being in contact with their families back home, they can only do that through the Internet. Most of them have phones, but they can only do that through the Internet. So in Lavrio, AMG is going to open what they call a hotspot. And it'll be a place where they can come, we'll serve tea and coffee, but they'll also have internet access, they can wash their clothes, get a shower, that kind of thing. But it'll just be a place to practically minister to them in such a way that helps them stay in contact with family if they're allowed, and also um, see Jesus at work again. This next um, slide, this, oops, this next slide is actually a camp up in Thessaloniki. It's north of Greece, uh, north of Greece, north of Athens, and there are over a thousand families that are living in airport hangars. Um, there's a story I will tell you very quickly. You can see the clothes kind of blowing in the wind there on the fence. There was a mom who was standing as she was carrying a little baby, as she was trying to put the baby's clothes on the fence, but it kept getting hung up. There's barbed wire at the top of the fence, and it kept getting hung up on that. She was just trying, and she was trying to pull it, but she was going to rip it to pieces. So we went over, and we got it off the barbed wire, and she hung it up, and her name was Anna. And she is probably, her story is probably a little different. Her entire family is with her at this camp. So she's very thankful, but she has seven kids. And they're all living in a hangar. Um, she doesn't know where they're going to go, where they're going to wind up. But right now they're living in an airport hangar with lots of other people. Um, the next slide. Um, this is a some of us ladies who actually worked in the kitchen at the Cosmovision Center in Greece. Um, there was a Polish kids camp while we were there, and a lot, the CVC we call it, never stops. It is constantly in motion. We're going from one group to another and changing out rooms and cooking food, and, but I got to help in the kitchen while we were there. And this lady right here is Sophia. Sophia is Syrian. And I'd like to just share you a little bit of her story. She came to AMG actually in the summer in July when we were there the first time last year. And it was the very last day of a Polish kids camp. And so she shows up. She just comes out of this van and come to find out um, the Salvation Army had called AMG and said, hey, we have this lady. She's been living on the streets for four nights. She's all by herself. She has nothing. Can you come get her? So me, Holly's went in the van, picked her up, and in the midst of us setting up for all the parents of these kids to come and everybody's practicing all their skits and excited to show everybody what's going on, this little lady 
dressed in white, hops out of this van, and she is just blown away by what's going on. And she's kind of walking around a little bit, and so I went over to her, and I welcomed her, and she just looked at me, and she said, there's peace here. She knew, and she'd only been there for 15 minutes, that this was a different place. And it was so cool because it's something that we pray for in our ministries. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to say so much, and we discount the fact that God's Spirit is there, and He speaks. He speaks to hearts, and He speaks to minds. And I didn't, we didn't communicate very well, but she had just enough English that she knew to say, there's peace here. So long story short, Sophia is now living and working at the Cosmovision Center. She is such a joy. Oh my word. She works hard. She actually was a linguistics professor at a university in Aleppo. Um, she definitely has a career. She has five children. Her husband actually was killed by a bomb in the war. Um, her five children she left behind. They're all in Aleppo. So when she hears of the bombings and things that are happening, she knows her kids are right smack in the middle of all of that. One of the things Sophia shared with us, we took her to get some shoes because winter was coming. Um, Anyway, so we took her to get some shoes, and she was just sharing a lot about her life there and what it looked like before, and the fact that women in Syria never go to buy shoes. So um, I don't have time to go into all of that, but Sophia is a believer. She has come to know Jesus, and she says that she used to pray for her children's safety more than anything else, but now that she's a believer, she's actually praying for her children's hearts because she knows that if she sees her older son again, and he knows that she's going to, and she he knows that she's a believer, that he would actually be obligated to kill her. So if you guys think of Sophia, please pray for her kids because um, they need Jesus too, and she knows it. Thank you. Thank you, Tracy. See, what happens is when we go overseas and we work with these people, they become part of who we are. They become part of our, our everyday life. Um, Tracy, on her cell phone, if you were to look at it on her lock screen, if you, every time she opens her phone, Sophia actually wrote down the names of her children. Tracy took a picture of it and put it on her phone. So the names of Sophia's children are actually in Tracy's purse all the time. And every time she turns her phone on, she sees them, and we pray for them often. Um, so yes, it's a blessing, isn't it? Let me just quickly take you to another part of the world that I told you we would share before we finish today. We served in Guatemala for a couple of years, and our hearts are really there in many respects because we have developed long-term relationships there. And God's really working in this country. I don't know if any of you are familiar with Latin America or Central America or have been to Guatemala. It's a beautiful country. A lot of scenery. The people are beautiful. There's a lot of history there a lot of color, um, but it's also a, com a, a country with a lot of poverty. Um, it's a terribly desperate country. There's so many needs there. 50% uh, of the children, or 50% of the population are under the age of 15 in Guatemala. 65% of the population lives below the poverty line in Guatemala. Um, and I'm thinking there are 14 million people that live in Guatemala. So just to give you some numbers, 
It's ranked sixth in the world for malnutrition and fourth for natural disasters. It's very common to see entire areas of the, of the city there that are barrios like this one or slum areas, and this is where AMG works uh, primarily because that's where the greatest need is. Just a, just a snapshot again of some of, the, uh, some of the statistics. It is considered the most dangerous country in Latin America, surprisingly, uh, may surprise you, and number two globally, and that's primarily due to gang activity and corruption um, and drugs that, that happened there in Guatemala, the country. Many children are forced to live in poverty and with no education and really no way out. This little boy you're looking at here actually is working in the dump in Guatemala. There's a whole community, families that live, and the dump is their livelihood. Um, what happens is many ch families move in from the, from the hills in the country outside the city. They move to the city thinking they're going to find work, and there's not work, so they end up actually having to survive uh, by, by um, trying to find things to sell out of the dump, plastic and other things. And they actually, this is their livelihood. And this little boy is part of the reason why we're in Guatemala. Uh, we have, uh, the Lord's blessed us with 8,000 plus sponsored children in Guatemala through a partner uh, called Word and Deed in, in, in the Netherlands. Um, we partner together with them to sponsor over 8,000 children. And they have the opportunity to attend a child care center that looks much like this one. Uh, all throughout the country, we have 27 child care centers um, like this one, and they're able to come there and get a Christian education, get healthy food, medical care, and of course, they're taught the Bible and they have the opportunity to come to know Christ. Each of our child care centers in Guatemala, it, the cool thing about it is we don't run them necessarily. We help facilitate and coordinate the ministry, but we actually give the, the ministry of the child care centers to a local church. And so the national church actually is, has real ownership of, of the ministry of the child care centers. Um, there was a team member once that came to Guatemala and asked our director there, uh, Brian Dennett is his name currently, um, how much does the $32 sponsorship, how much of that actually makes it to the field? How much of that impacts the child? And he looked at him and he said about $80 a month per child. Because all those things I just mentioned to you cost more than the $32 a month. Um, it's not just giving the child a warm meal in Guatemala. God's just blessed the ministry in such a way that we ha are able to have medical care. We have a camp. Every child in our sponsorship program goes to the camp one week out of the year. Many of, many of them come to Christ when they go to that camp. It's their, kind of their Disney World experience. It may not sound like a big deal to you, but it is to them. Um, so there are a lot of uh, other benefits that God's blessed us with there in Guatemala for these children. But this is the dark side of Guatemala. These, this is, these are actual gang members in Guatemala. They run the slums in Guatemala. Uh, you, you're, I'm sure you're aware that over the past several years, our immigration policies in the United States have forced the removal of several Ill illegal immigrants back to Latin America, Central America in particular. Thousands of young men like these have come from the streets of L.A. and San Francisco and other places in our country and have been shipped back home. Well, what do you think they're doing back home? They're doing this. We have a story of a young man named Eduardo. Eduardo is a teenager, 13 years old. He was in one of our child care centers in Guatemala. He has an uncle in the U.S. He decided he wanted to come to the U.S. and be with his uncle. So he did what many of these young men do, and he decided to leave the Guatemala, come through Mexico, take their chances, get across the border, and enter the country illegally. He did that. In the last year, he did that. And he found his uncle, only to find out that his uncle didn't want him. His uncle put him out on the street. And so Eduardo 
recognized he had it better in Guatemala. So he turned himself in to the authorities. And what did immigration do? Well, they sent him back. And so Eduardo found himself back, back at the same child care center where he was before. But the reason he left Guatemala was because of the gangs. The gangs were approaching him and trying to pressure him to join the gang. And he didn't want to do that. So when he came back to Guatemala, they found him again. And one day he was just out playing basketball with some friends. And there was a kind of a drive-by shooting. He got shot. He ended up in the hospital in a coma. Now, the silver lining is, he's out of that coma and he's on his way to recovery. But that just gives you a snapshot of some of what's going on in countries like Guatemala um, and where AMG is very involved in the lives of children like Eduardo. So the bigger picture before we close here is what's God doing? All these things we've showed you in Greece, in Guatemala, of course, in other places around the world. We've looked at the scriptures. We've seen what God's heart is. This is actually a refugee boat from Turkey landing on an island outside Greece um, on the border. And so by moving hundreds of thousands of refugees into Greece, what's God doing? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? What about this wall that we're building or we have built? Are we keeping you know, illegal immigrants out? I'm not talking politics here. I'm just talking about what's God doing? We're moving young men from our country back to their home country. Well, the way I see it is this, or one way to look at it anyway, is that in Greece we have a ministry that's been there for 75 years now this year. And we're there ready in, this, in the midst of already busy, busy ministry, but we recognize what God's doing and we're, we're reaching into these camps and, and letting God use us to be the hands and feet of Jesus and see many, many, many of these Syrians and Afghanis who would otherwise have no access to the gospel come to Christ. And that's a picture of Photos and Mary Romeos. He's our Eastern European director there. Um, and he oversees our team of missionaries and staff in Greece. And that's the Cosmo Vision Center that Tracy mentioned where we met uh, Sophia the first time. In Guatemala, this is a picture of one of our teachers. We have over six, 650 national staff in Guatemala, like this young lady, working with our children there. They're sharing Christ with needy kids who would otherwise have no way of knowing him uh, in many respects. And of course, there's a truckload of Americans. You see those people? They look like us, don't they? We have a lot of teams that go to Guatemala and help with the ministry there in very tangible ways uh, to help touch the lives of these children. And so these are the hands and feet of God partnering together uh, with what he's doing in countries like Guatemala and in Greece. And what we'll do is this just points you quickly. We're finishing up here. I know it's a little late, but this is uh, AMG's website, the bottom of our homepage. If you're interested in learning more, there's a button at the bottom that says Ministry Opportunities, and you can click on that. And we also have a handout, if we can do that, just real quick in closing. Tracy and I, as I mentioned, um, work with longer-term ministry internships and career missions. And if God's touching your heart to go for a month or more, uh, these are some opportunities that are right in front of us. Some of them, some of them are in Guatemala, some of them are in Greece, some of them are in other places uh, around the world. Um, but while they're handing those out, just feel free to pray with us about that. Jesus said in Matthew 9, when he looked at the, the people, he saw them downcast like sheep without a shepherd. And if you were here the other night when Tom shared, that means that the sheep was going to die. A sheep without a shepherd is a, is a dead sheep <laughs> because they don't know how to find water. They don't know how to find each other. They need a shepherd for that. 
And so Jesus calls us to look and see that, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are, fruit, are few. And so what do you do? Well, you pray. Ask God to send forth the laborers. And you know what happens often, quite honestly, and this is why sometimes I think we're afraid to pray, is because he tells us to go, right? And that's the greatest sacrifice we can make. We can give, we can do a lot of different things, but it's actually the going that's the greatest sacrifice, isn't it? It's a picking up and trusting God to take you somewhere like Abraham and somewhere you, didn't, you don't know. And yet therein lies the greatest blessing and where God can use us. And it's really the most fulfilling thing you could ever do is to be a part of what God's global purpose in the world. In closing, I just want to share a, a testimony of a young man. His name is Jordan. And he responded to one of those opportunities like the ones you're looking at on that sheet that we just handed out. He sent a note in to us. He's a sophomore at uh, Cedarville University. And he said this when he wrote to us. He said, these past two years, I've had the opportunity to spend my spring break on a missions trip to Peru through AMG. Through these trips, I have discovered a little bit of what missions is like, and it's something I see myself doing. As an early childhood education major in college, I have a heart for serving and teaching children. And I think there's such a big need for, for, for that for undeserving kids overseas. I personally don't think that teaching at a school in America is what God is telling me to do, but to take my passion to another country and show the love of Christ to all those around me there. Missions is something that has been on my heart over the past year. I really do believe it's something I want to learn more about and possibly do with my life. Now for us, we just, that's just, we love that. Isn't that fun? To be a part of helping a young man like this discern the next step in his journey with the Lord, whether that's with AMG or with someone else. And you know, I know we've been talking a lot about missions. We've been talking about overseas stuff and missionaries going and refugees and all that. You know, quite honestly, God uses us right where we are, doesn't he? Yeah. You know, you don't have to feel like somehow you're less because you don't get on a boat and go overseas or get on a plane and take your passport. I just, the, the calling is to be faithful where we are. Calling is to say, Lord, show me what you want me to do, whether that's witness to my neighbor or, yes, go to Guatemala and be a part of reaching young men like Eduardo for Christ. You know, it's just, it's just a matter of being obedient where we are. And so that, with that challenge, I just let's work together and spread the gospel for God's glory. Thank you so much.